Kapag hindi kayo sumuko, lalo kayong mapapasubo Baka tuluyan na kayong di matuntun Last week was Banned Books Week A way to bring awareness to our freedom to read the books that at some point in time were, or are still, forbidden in certain countries Here in the Philippines, there were at least four known books that were banned in history Two of these were Jose Rizal's novels, No Limitangere and El Filibusterismo. And over 75 years later, the next two books were banned by the Marcos government. The Conjugal Dictatorship of Ferdinand and Imelda Marcos by Primitivo Mijares and The Untold Story of Imelda Marcos by Carmen Navarro Pedrosa. Books banned when martial law took effect. Hi, I'm Mark. I'm your narrator here at Sagittarian Project, a history podcast featuring readings about the dark years of martial law in the Philippines. The conjugal dictatorship of Ferdinand and Imelda Marcos holds the most authoritative, first-hand accounts of the machinations inside the Marcos regime. Written by Primitivo Mijares, a long-time Marcos propagandist who defected from the government in 1975 testified before a U.S. Congress committee, wrote the book in 1976. Ferdinand Marcos tried to stop everything. Our reading for today is about this attempt to stop Thibault Mijares from publicly unraveling what's going on inside the conjugal dictatorship. We are reading from Chapter 1, A Summer Night in Washington, D.C. from the banned book, The Conjugal Dictatorship, of Ferdinand and Imelda Marcos. I started entertaining second thoughts about my support and propaganda work for Marcos toward the end of the year, 1973. It is difficult to pinpoint the exact time when I did, but it must have been right after December 30, 1973, which was the final day of Marcos's second and last term in office under the 1935 Constitution. At about that point in time, I began to realize that Marcos imposed martial law not to save the country from a communist rebellion, but to hold on to the presidency for life and as a dictator. However, I felt that I could not dissociate myself quietly from the Marcos regime. I somehow had to make public my rebellion against Marcos's plan to become the Philippine ruler for life. The Filipino people never gave Marcos a mandate to rule for life when they elected him to the presidency in 1965. I wanted to perpetuate into the records of history the machinations of a man dead set on becoming a dictator in his own country. When I felt I was ready to defect from the Marcos regime, I contacted a worthy ally, former evening newsman Chris D. Cabasares, and asked him to tell Alex A. Esclamado, editor and publisher of the Philippine News, about my plans. Chris wrote under his byline the story of my defection on February 20, 1975. I was not expecting any telephone call that late night of June 16, 1975, as I have already parted company with Proculo Rodriguez Jr., who had accompanied me earlier in the evening for dinner at the residence of a friend, Betty S. Torres, at Silver Spring in Maryland. 
The only man who could conceivably call me at that late hour was Cristobal Manalo, former legal counselor at the Philippine Embassy who was quote-unquote fired by Marcos in September 1972 because he was an Iglesia Ni Cristo member. However, he could not have known where I was billeted at the time. I must confess, though, that during the almost four months preceding this trip of mine to Washington, D.C., I have stood most of the time in morbid fear that the telephone call such as the one I am now called upon to receive might just intrude into my life. I was irritated that the phone call did, and in the middle of writing a speech no less. Even more so, that that speech has been in process for as long as I have feared that phone call. For the phone call turned out precisely to be about that speech I was preparing for in my room at the Midtown Motor Inn in Washington, D.C. The phone call came at that point in time when, while reviewing my speech, I was recollecting the circumstances of an earlier visit to Washington, D.C. and comparing them with the reason of my current trip. Somehow, I could establish a link. The fare I used for my flight from San Francisco to Washington, D.C. was the unused return portion of my plane ticket, a ticket that was issued to me in Manila when I left the Philippines on October 21, 1974, to pursue my mission for the First Lady. I recall it being the First Lady who ordered me to fly to Washington, D.C. from New York on the night of November 18, 1974, to aid in the quote-unquote rescue operations for Ambassador Eduardo Romualdez, who was then being held hostage by Lechoco inside the chancery of the Philippine Embassy. Having been informed earlier that Lechoco was a former newsman, Mrs. Marcos decided that I should rush to Washington, D.C. and try to establish a dialogue with the ambassador's captor. These things flashed so fast in my mind even as I held my Midtown Motel Room phone receiver and heard the Manila Overseas Operator cautiously cut off the caller from the Manila end. Just a moment, Mr. Secretary. Sir, this is an overseas call from Secretary De Vega. Are you Mr. Mijares? I answered hesitantly, but managed to say, Yes, this is he. Then I heard another familiar voice, which I can identify anytime, anywhere as that of Agent Arturo Bukiren of President Marcos's study room communication cubicle, stating, Doc, nandito na si Mr. Mijares. Hold the line, sir. In compliance with the suggestion from John M. Salzburg, consultant to the House Committee on International Relations, I prepared an affidavit detailing the circumstances of the bribe offer and submitted it to the committee. That at about 11 o'clock in the evening of June 16, 1975, EST, while I was reviewing my opening statement to be given to the committee, I received an overseas telephone call from Manila. The person at the other end turned out to be my very good friend and former colleague at the Malacanang Palace, Presidential Assistant Guillermo de Vega. He told me he was calling from the study room of President Marcos and that the president wanted to talk to me. Our telephone conversation, as far as I can recall, went on as follows, after the usual amenities. Secretary de Vega said, 
Tibo, gusto kang makausap ni Sir. President Marcos said, Tibo, pwede bang wag ka nang sumipot sa kumiting yan? Alam mo marami na tayong problema dito. Baka madagdagan mo pa. Mabuti pa ay bumalik ka na kagad sa San Francisco. Mijares said, But sir, there is no way I can back out now. I have already placed myself under the jurisdiction of the subcommittee. President Marcos said, Here is Gimo, and he has something to tell you. Then transferring the telephone to Secretary De Vega, Tibo, bumachi ka na dyan, and training will arrange for you 50 in San Francisco. Mejares replied, Mogs, a nickname I use in addressing Secretary De Vega, hindi na pwede. Nasabi ko na sa committee na nandito na ako sa Washington. I have to testify. Iyong figure ay libo. And you will get another 50 when you leave the United States. Since you may not want to come home to Manila, you may want to go to Australia to be with your sister. We will send you another 50 upon your arrival there. Salamat na lang, Mogs. Pero hindi kita pwede mapagbigyan. I will not accept your negative answer now. Pag-aralan mong mabuti yan, Tibo. You know very well that if you testify, that would mean a declaration of war on your part against us here. I realize that, and you can be sure I will act accordingly. Goodbye, Doc. Sige na, Tibo. Take care of yourself. Training will contact you. Training was Ambassador Trinidad Alconcel. That at about 8.45 a.m. EST of Tuesday, June 17, 1975, the day of my scheduled testimony before Congressman Fraser's committee, I received a long-distance call from Ambassador Trining Alconcel from San Francisco. Alconcel, in so many words, made me understand that he had received instructions from President Marcos to give me $50,000, which he has been authorized to draw from the Philippine National Bank Agency in San Francisco. Presuming that I would no longer testify before the committee, Alconcel asked me to take the first available plane to San Francisco so that he could deliver the money to me. I told him that I could not change my plans anymore, even if I wanted to. However, he insisted that he was going to the Philippine National Bank the first hour that morning to arrange everything. Then he hung up. In dangling the $50,000 for my non-testimony and another $50,000 for my departure from the United States, President Marcos was obviously quite sure that he was giving me an offer I would hardly be able to refuse. Yes, every man has his price. I have just been offered mine, and the dictatorial regime that goes by the false facade of sponsor of a new society in the Philippines could seat serene insured for the price of $100,000 against a damaging expose by an insider in a forum where the new society would get hurt most. Computing for inflation, $100,000 in 1973 is equivalent to 543587 and 84 in 2016. Either by oversight or some providential happening, the martial regime of Marcos miscalculated. 
The regime failed to reckon with the little possibility that I might also be influenced by the highfalutin principle that there are things in this life which are more precious than gold. Like the duty and obligation I owe to myself, my family, my profession, my country, and most of all, its history. That concludes our reading for today. Thank you to Ateneo Press and the Miharis family for granting us permission to use the book for the readings in this podcast. Thanks also to Gary Granada for the music on the show. Thank you for listening to the Sagittarian Project. If you enjoy our episodes, please consider subscribing to this podcast and leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts to help us get more people to listen on the show. You can also follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. If you know anyone who you think can find value in our episode, please don't hesitate to share this podcast with them. If you're a teacher, an educator, and you think this can be useful in any way for you and your students, please feel free to use this podcast as a reference or a listening assignment. If you have any feedback or suggestions for the show, please let us know by sending us a message on our social media accounts. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Project and on Instagram at sagittarianproject. You can also send us an email at sagittarianproject at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for now and see you in the next episode. Kapag hindi kayo sumuko, lalo kayong mapapasubo, makatuluyan na kayong di matunton. Kahit saan kayo magtago, kung may ulo ay may pako, makatuluyan na kayong maibaon.